Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you today. I got to start by just saying that I've been in this role for 19 years and been the one to kind of set up this preaching time. And I would just say that anybody could preach after what we just experienced in worship. That was so amazing to help us focus our thoughts upon Christ today. Well, it is good to be with you, and I'm so grateful. Let me first just communicate to you how glad we are, grateful we are uh, to be with you, to get to serve you and serve with you. Um, my heart is to, to shepherd you, um, to continue to point you to Christ, uh, to continue to teach you that God's way is always best. Um, and I believe that as we understand that truth and as we see that truth lived out in our lives, we'll experience a greater love for God, a greater love for one another, uh, a greater hatred for sin, a greater desire to remove sin from our own lives, and a greater hatred for sin in the world. And so that's why, that's why we come together, to remind ourselves of these truths and our need uh, for one another. About a year ago was when Tim first called us and asked us to pray about joining you guys. And as we prayed about that and sought wise counsel from many, uh, there was a particular passage of scripture that God just continued to bring to my heart. And it was a passage that I had memorized years before, and it's from 1 Peter chapter 4. And so um, today I, I just want to walk through that passage of scripture together. Um, I, I think there's something powerful in just God's word being read and proclaimed into our lives. And so today we're just going to take the opportunity to just kind of walk through this passage and see what it is that God has for us this morning at this point in our lives and how he wants to teach us and lead us in this time. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to begin in verse 7, and I know that uh, many of you are looking at your phones or iPads, and that's convenient, and I do the same thing. I totally get that. I would encourage you, though, uh, if I can just kind of uh, pastor you in this way, I would encourage you, even when you're looking on your phone or whatever, that you have some way of taking notes. Uh, I think there's something that God does when we're actively writing things down that he's teaching us, whether we're just reading in our own time with the Lord or hearing God's word preached in a, in a setting like this. So I would encourage you to do that. But I'm going to be reading today from 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'm going to read from the ESV uh, version, which will be on the screen as well. Beginning in verse 7, says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we do come before you today and we recognize that this is your word for us. God, it is our joy uh, to humbly come before you and submit ourselves to your word. And so God, I pray that you would speak into our lives. Uh, God, that it would not just be me that's speaking, but Father, by your spirit, you would teach us, you would lead us, you would convict us, you would challenge us today. 
through your word. It's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray. Amen. You know that feeling of wasting time and the frustration that comes from time being wasted? You know those days when you kind of get to the end of your day and you just kind of have this regret kind of feeling like, did I do anything that mattered today? And the, really the frustration uh, that comes from that. Imagine getting to the end of your life and feeling as though the day was spent, the life was spent on just meaningless, trivial stuff and how awful that would feel. I think that this passage of Scripture, as I've studied it, may be one of the most practical passages of Scripture in regards to just living a life that honors God, uh, making the most of the time that God has given us on this earth. I also believe that the impact of these truths will not only shape us as individuals, uh, but shape us as a church family. So First Peter is a letter written by... Well done. <laughs> you all get an A+. Plus. It was written by Peter. Um, his, his intent in writing this letter is to encourage the churches who have faced great persecution or are about to face great persecution. Uh, Peter most likely is writing from Rome, but this letter is being circulated uh, to multiple churches uh, to encourage them. And uh, John Piper, great author and pastor, uh, he, he writes this as, as a way of just summing up uh, the whole book of First Peter. He says this, In God's omnipotent care for you, as chosen, newborn, forgiven, cherished, self-empowered people of God, be fully satisfied in God's promised grace and glory that your lives are marked by blessing your adversaries and by overflowing with good deeds with the aim that unbelievers might be won over and enjoy the glory of God with you forever. There's a ton in that incredibly run-on sentence uh, from Dr. Piper. Uh, but basically what he's saying is this. In the face of persecution, in the face of suffering, remember God's love for you. And may that love, may that truth motivate you to live, not for your own glory, but for God's glory. So let's just kind of jump into this passage a little bit this morning. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Isn't it interesting that 2,000 years ago, uh, Peter believed that he was living in the last times? And really, we see this theme throughout the New Testament. Uh, the writers of the New Testament believe that they are living in the last days. Uh, but I wanna, what I want us to see here is the sense of urgency Peter has in his instruction. This is a call to get serious, to be alert. The reality is the end of all things is at hand. We know this. Although we don't know when Jesus is returning, uh, we do know that he is coming. And if the writers of the New Testament believed that he was coming soon, I think that we should follow their example and believe that he is indeed coming soon. We know this truth and we believe it, but I think that it's some, typically just this truth that's kind of in the back of our minds. It's not something that we consistently Consider. We know that it's happening, we know it's coming, but the fact that the end of all things is at hand is not something that's consistently on our minds. But I think that this truth is here to transform us, to transform our thinking, to transform our living. And so we need each other, we need God's word to remind us of this truth. And really the rest of the passage in this, in this scripture flows from this reality. So due to the fact that the end of all things is at hand, 
therefore do this. Okay, so live this way in light of this reality. So what is it that Peter calls us to do? The end of all things is at hand, therefore pray. There's this relationship that goes on between the end of all things being at hand and then this necessity to pray. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. We, we know this from other biblical texts, that uh, in the last days, in the end of time, there will be greater persecution and greater suffering. Well, what do we do about this reality? I have an older pastor who would regularly say the most important thing we do as followers of Christ is pray. And I always kind of wondered, is that true? Like, I know there's a lot of other things we could do, right? We should tell people about Jesus. Uh, we should read our Bible. We should come together and worship together as the church. But if we believe that God is sovereign, that he is in charge, that it is God who saves, it is the Holy Spirit that does the work of bringing light to the truth from God's word, it is the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, that, that leads us in good works, that allows us to walk in the good works. So if, if this is true, then, yeah, the most important thing we do is pray, to commune with God, to recognize our dependency upon him recognize our need and our desperate need for him so peter says listen the end of all things is at hand so we must we have to prioritize prayer he goes on to tell us how we are to pray and he mentions two components uh, that should characterize our prayer uh, the first one is self-control and then sober-mindedness so Self-control has to do with our ability to stay in the moment, okay? To, to live in the now, to not be drawn and, and carried about by every impulse uh, that comes our way. I always think of the movie Up and the little dog that's, everything's cool, and then squirrel, right? So there's this, there's this draw to like something else. And I think we do that, right? We love shiny stuff that draws our attention away to other things. And so this idea of being self-control is living in, in the moment, and then sober-mindedness, this is a theme that, that Peter speaks about uh, often in his, in his letters. In chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So having a sober mind here means to keep your mind set on the hope that we have in Christ. How good is that? to set our minds on this truth that God is not going to leave us, that he is with us, and we have hope in who he is. Chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So the idea that we could keep our minds alert, actually helps us to resist the devil, actually helps us to resist his temptations. And then Philippians 4, verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then 2 Corinthians 10.5 says to take every thought captive to obey Christ. So Peter is pleading with the church to pray, 
to be self-controlled and sober-minded, and not just this, this token prayer of, uh, you know, that happens at dinner time or before you go to bed, but to diligently pray, to keep your mind alert and prepared, recognizing that the devil wants to drag you down and wreck you, so stay in the game. Recognize what is going on around you, what is going on in our world, and depend upon God. Peter goes on to say, The end of all things is at hand, therefore love each other earnestly. This isn't the only time we hear this instruction from Peter. He says in first chapter of verse 22, love each other earnestly with a pure heart, with a heart that is sincere. And you probably know this, but the word love, there's three different meanings that we see in scripture uh, with this word love. But this is the word uh, love meaning agape or unconditional love. We get the picture of of a runner who is straining for the finish line. This is not a, a uh, passive, kind of wishy-washy kind of love, but this is an active, devoted kind of love. This is the kind of love that, that takes work. This is kind of love that takes sacrifice. In fact, Peter says here, above all, keep loving one another. Above your own desires, above your own reputation, above your own agenda, love one another. Probably the most quoted verse in our home is Philippians 2.3 that says, where Paul says, consider others as more important than yourself. Imagine a world where we actually did that, where we actually did. Imagine a church family where we did that, that we, we truly considered others as, as more important than ourself. But what are the implications of this kind of love? Paul, uh, Peter says that love covers a multitude of sins. This is an interesting phrase that I have studied a lot and tried to figure out exactly what's going on here. I think it's, I think it's easier to say what this is not saying first. Uh, this is not saying that love sweeps sin under the rug. Uh, this is not saying that love avoids the difficulty of confrontation or love excuses you from self-discipline. But what is being said is this is a kind of love that forgives and forgives and forgives again. This is a kind of love that allows you to look past the fact that you've been wronged and love anyway. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, you've heard probably many times. Uh, this is uh, referred to as the love chapter, and a lot of times it's used in, in weddings. And Sunny and I had this uh, verse in our wedding and I think that's great. The only problem is that Paul was not talking about weddings or the marital relationship at all <laughs> in this passage of Scripture. Should we look to it as husbands and wife? Yeah, sure. But Paul is talking about the church. He's talking about you and I and how we relate together as the body of Christ, how we are to love each other. So I want to read this passage of Scripture, and I want you to hear it and see it through the lens of the church, through the lens of how you and I how we love one another. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. 
Brothers and sisters, Peter is saying, the end of all things is at hand. For goodness sake, let's love one another. He goes on to give us an example or kind of a a tangible expression of this kind of love when he says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore show hospitality without grumbling. I think this is very interesting. You think, I mean, I think Peter could have used a hundred different ways of showing love or a hundred different things to to consider in light of the fact of the end of all things being at hand, but he uses to show hospitality. Contextually, there are some very practical reasons for this. So in this culture at this time, you had people that were fleeing their home country because of persecution, right? So you had people that, that had very tangible needs like a good meal and they needed a place to rest and they needed a good place to sleep. So Peter is pointing to these tangible needs uh, that people have. Many of them were, were refugees or nomads, right? But I think that this has very practical instruction for us as well. We are naturally a very selfish people. Naturally, we're bent towards our own desires, our own needs, our own wants. Um, and we don't like the idea of being inconvenienced. Yet we are called to show radical hospitality. I read a book a couple years back by a lady named Rosario Butterfield. That's just fun to say, uh, first of all. Uh, but the name of the book was called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, which is pretty cool as well. The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Rosario uh, was a professor of uh, literature and women's studies at Syracuse University. She was an atheist and incredibly antagonistic towards the things of God. But she developed a friendship with her neighbors, and her neighbor happened to be a retired pastor. Their friendship grew due due to the fact that she was consistently in their home for meals. This was a very normal part of their routine, as they would have Rosario in in their home uh, for meals. And ultimately, God used this friendship and her searching for the truth to save her, to radically change her life. Now she's married to a man who is a pastor. Um, She raises children, and God uses her story in tremendous ways. In her book, talking about how her and her husband view hospitality, she says this, Many people in our community protect themselves from inconvenience as though inconvenience is deadly. We have decided that we are not inconvenienced by inconvenience. The needs of children come up unexpectedly. We are sure that the Good Samaritan had other plans that fateful day. Our plans are not sacred. So when was the last time we were inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel? When was the last time we were inconvenienced to share love with that person who needed our time and our energy? When was the last time we were inconvenienced for our neighbor who doesn't know Christ and the opportunity to just show love to that person and be a good neighbor? Hospitality is a powerful thing that God uses not only to meet our our physical needs, but can be used to meet needs of the heart and the soul. Peter says to show hospitality without grumbling. Why did he add that phrase? He could have just said show hospitality. You don't have to be happy about it. Just do it, right? But no, he adds the phrase without grumbling. Basically, he's saying uh, show hospitality and like it. Um, Remember when you were a kid, your dad would say, you're going to eat your vegetables and you're going to like it. 
I was always like, no, I'm not going to. <laughs> you can't make me. Uh, you, and then I'd get spankings, and we don't need to go into that. Um, but Peter uses this word grumbling. Uh, basically, he's saying, show hospitality and find joy in it. Uh, if you've been part of OKC community for a while, you've seen this word before. The Greek word here for grumbling is the word gogusmos. That's exciting, isn't it? Uh, I remember Tim teaching through this, uh, teaching this word through Ephesians, and I was not here with you, but I was listening uh, in Houston, and he had us all together say the word gogusmos, and you did it with such joy and robustness that I think we need to do it again. Are we ready? The word is gogusmos. We're going to say it on three. One, two, three. Go-goose-mos. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you for uh, for doing that, if for nobody else but for Tim. You've actually learned something uh, under his preaching. So what is it that he's saying that we should show hospitality and how we should show hospitality? We've all been in that place where we, uh, maybe we're doing something that we know we need to do, but we don't necessarily enjoy it, right? Um, our son Jude, we had our, his eighth, eighth, eight-year-old birthday party a couple years ago. And we had the great idea of having a Nerf gun war in our house. So we had 10 eight-year-old boys having Nerf gun wars in our house for way too long. And so I was present, I was engaged, I was smiling, but secretly I was gogusmos, right? (laughs) Um, And Paul is saying this about how we should view this idea of showing hospitality without grumbling. We see this word also uh, in Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So what Paul is saying here is the absence of grumbling is evidence of being a child of God. He says we are called to be lights in the world, but an attitude of grumbling distorts our light. So if we have a negative grumbling spirit, what does that say about the God we represent? If we are God's children, what does a grumbling spirit say about our Father? Honestly, as Christians, we should be the most humble, joy-filled people in all the world willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of showing love to one another. Peter goes on, and he finishes this section when he says, the end of all things is at hand, so serve one another. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So there are a couple understoods that we need to get here in what Peter is saying. First of all, if you are a Christian, you have been given a spiritual gift. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been given a gift. Secondly, that gift has not been given for your benefit, but for others. And then thirdly, that gift is an aspect of God's grace being extended to his children. This is huge for our understanding of what Peter is saying. Think through this with me for a moment. When you serve you are extending God's grace to his children. This is much more than just opening the door for somebody when they come in or pouring a cup of coffee or even teaching or loving a child up on the second floor. But by doing these things, you are extending the grace of God 
to that person. This is amazing reality for us. Um, God's grace is being poured out through our gifts, given by God for the benefit of blessing his church. So the implications of this are obvious. If you're not regularly gathering with the people of God, if you're not regularly a part of what God is doing in the local church, you are missing out on an aspect of God's grace for your life. If you're not regularly gathering or if you're not serving in using those gifts, you're missing out on the opportunity to be a conduit of God's grace to others by using your gift. So Peter speaks specifically of two different gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And these gifts are not mutually exclusive. Uh, whenever we speak, Lord willing, we're serving. And whenever we serve, most likely, uh, we are speaking. Uh, but he is making a distinction between words and deeds. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Basically, uh, what he's saying is know God's word and speak it into each other's lives. Uh, I heard a pastor years ago who had been preaching for years and years. He was in his 70s. And he got up to preach, and the first thing he said was, anything that I say is suspect to error except whenever I'm reading God's word. And I was like, man, that's such a good posture. That's such a good place of recognition of we need to know God's word and speak it into each other's lives. When did we you know, need some encouragement and we get a phone call or we get a text from somebody that just is speaking God's word over our life and the encouragement that that brings? He goes on to say, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. The resource, the resource from which we serve is not our strength or our abilities. It is God's strength. So what are the implications of this? Well, first of all, uh, there is no room for pride in the life of a Christ follower. Uh, when we recognize that any good in us is the work of God in us, there's no room for for pride. And then secondly, there's no excuse. Uh, we as Christians are called to a life of service, uh, called to a life of submission. Jesus calls us to, day, die, to die daily to ourselves. John says that we must decrease and Christ must increase. And so the, the flow of the Christian life is one of service, but recognizing that it is God who gives the strength to serve. So the end of all things is at hand. Pray, love, show hospitality, and serve. And all of this leads us to the apex of this passage. The aim of all that Peter is pointing to is God being glorified. Verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. Ultimately, like all of Scripture, this passage is about God and His glory. So let's get this. We are called to use God's gifts and God's words, helping people to taste God's grace so that God is made glorious. Our aim is not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of God through Jesus Christ. And we can't miss that part through Jesus Christ. It's always through Jesus Christ. If it, not, if it were not for Jesus Christ, we have no hope of giving glory to God because we're still dead in our sins. It's because of Jesus Christ that we have been made 
alive. It's because of Jesus Christ that we are now called his righteous children. It's because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection from the grave that now you and I as children of God can make much of Jesus Christ because of who he is, because of what he's done. And then Peter ends this passage by just exploding into praise. He says, to him, meaning Jesus, belong all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word belong literally could be translated is. He is glorious. He is dominion. He is over all and the only one who is worthy of our praise and our adoration and ultimately our lives. So this is it. This passage is ultimately about God and his glory. So yes, the end of all things is at hand. So pray. Fix your mind on God, not being swayed by impulse, but with self-control, led by the Holy Spirit. Love earnestly, because love covers a multitude of sins. We must forgive one another and follow the example of Christ in how he forgives us. Show hospitality without grumbling. Be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of obeying God and loving each other. And then serve. God has given you gifts in order that you may extend God's grace to others. He's given you the ability to speak the very words of God into each other's lives. He's given you the strength to serve and to sacrifice for the benefit of others. And all of this is done so that God may be seen and recognized as glorious. As the guys are coming up to close out our time, I want to put something on the screen. I just want to walk through uh, this with us. As followers of Christ, we should be preoccupied with the glory of God. The consistent rhythm of our lives should be for God's glory. How we love our spouse, how we raise our kids, how we do our jobs, how we love our neighbors. All of this should flow from a deep passion for God to receive the glory that he deserves. So how do we respond to this today? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, uh, your response today is to indeed recognize God as glorious. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to come to this earth, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross in your place and in my place, bearing the full weight of sin upon himself, the penalty of sin upon himself. And he did that so that God may be glorified and that he might extend his love to you. So if you don't know Jesus, see Jesus as glorious today. Repent of your sins, place your trust in Jesus Christ. There's nothing better that could happen today than for you to surrender your life to Christ today. If you are a Christian, uh, your response could vary. Um, it could be that, that you, you want a greater commitment to pray. You do indeed recognize that the greatest thing we can do is pray. So pray for yourself, pray for our church, pray for our city. In recognition that the end of all things is at hand, 
pray that the gospel will go forth in power and that many would receive Christ. It may be that you aren't loving as you should, and today you need to respond to God by just saying, God, I want to love better. I want to love more. It could be that, that, um, that you even need to go to somebody, maybe in this room or somebody else, and just ask for their forgiveness. Say, I've not loved you as I should. I've not loved you the way that Christ calls us to love. And it could be that God is calling you to a greater commitment to love his church, to love the lost people around you. It may be that, uh, that you're sensing this desire and this need to show hospitality. Um, this is something that kind of scares you. This is something that kind of freaks you out a little bit. And it could be that, that God is just encouraging you today to take one step, uh, have your neighbors over for dinner, start, start there. Um, go in, instead of being in the backyard, hang out in the front yard and talk to your neighbors. There's something powerful about just getting to know your neighbors, know their name, and in doing that, you, you love them and you show hospitality, but not out of this desire to do the right thing, but out of desire to, because of God, because of what he's called me to do, I'm going to love my neighbors and I'm going to show hospitality. Maybe that you need to be willing to be inconvenienced a little bit, knowing that that, that will actually bring you tremendous joy, knowing that you are obeying God. And maybe that you're not serving and today, you feel this desire to serve. Um, and I, I've been personally overwhelmed by you as a church family and your desire to serve. Um, but there are still needs. There's still people that, that need to hear the truth. There's children that need to be taught. Uh, there's students that need to be mentored. There's doors and coffee that need to be made and opened, right? I mean, the, the, the act of serving one another is a consistent part of who we are as believers in Christ. But remember, we serve not out of our own abilities, not out of our own gifts, but because of God's work in our lives. And when you serve, you are extending the grace of God into those brothers and sisters. How amazing is that? So it could be that that you need to respond in some way today. And so we're going we're gonna to sing a final song here in just a moment. And our prayer team is going to be up front on either side of the stage. And they would love the opportunity to pray with you. So it may be today that you need to respond by, by coming forward and, and allowing them to pray for you, allowing, to, allowing them to pray with you. They, they'd love that. Or it could be that you just need to respond in your seat as we sing this song. And I would just encourage you, uh, to allow the Spirit to speak to you and, and open up your heart just a little bit and, and say, God, what is it in my life that I need to be, that I need to surrender more to you? God, what is it about prayer and the need that, we, that I have to pray to commune with you? God, how can I love better? God, help me get past this, this weird feeling I have about showing hospitality if that exists. God, show me where I can serve and how I can serve our church and you through serving right here at OKC Community, maybe. Just take a moment and allow God to speak to you uh, in this time. We're going to sing one more song together. And as we respond together, would you pray with me? Father God, we, uh, we recognize who you are. 
May we recognize your goodness. May we recognize, God, that you have shown radical forgiving love to us. And Father, along with what Peter is saying here in this passage of Scripture, God, we recognize that the end of all things is at hand. So God, may we live for your glory. God, may we recognize that you have put us on this earth to be used for your glory. God, I know that that's difficult and that's not always easy, but God, I pray that you would challenge us and convict us daily. God, that we would see our greatest joy and our greatest satisfaction not in things that we can accomplish, but in what you are doing through us for your glory.